welcome to the podcast. This is a very special episode for me since I spoke to Paula Ferguson, the Lib Dem candidate in the 2019 general election who came very close to unseating the young incumbent MP Steve Bryan. So she's a fantastic campaigner and she's also very involved in the Basics Bank in Winchester, which is what I particularly wanted to talk about. Now, in recent months, there's been a really big focus on food banks as unemployment increases, as people's jobs get more precarious. And I want to quickly cite this figure. In the last two weeks of March, the Trussell Trust saw an 80% increase in food parcel deliveries compared to the previous year. And bear in mind that in the previous year, in, in 2019, food bank usage had never been higher. And I'm in two minds about this, because on the one hand it shows that people have a community spirit, that when times get tough we step in to help one another. But it also seems to suggest that, in the long term, there's a more fundamental problem that people have to rely on generosity in order to eat, that arbitrary help is filling the gap left by a hollowed out public sector. To discuss this and much more, I give you Paula Ferguson. I know Paula, you've been volunteering at the Basics Bank for many years. Can you just describe how important the Basics Bank is and some of the challenges you've been experiencing? So um, the Winchester Basics Bank has been going for you know a good, a good many years now. And um, what it does is it's provides emergency food to people who basically you know need it it couldn't be anyone within the Winchester area can actually approach the food bank to get food um, and the way it's always worked in the past is in quite a small space um, people donate food to the food bank and then uh, someone can come in we call them clients and um, and they can basically we know how big their family is, whether they're two people or a family of five or six. And then they're able to almost shop. So, you know, um, what soup would you like? What kind of pasta do the kids like? Um, what vegetables? So it's a very interactive, quite personal experience for them. Obviously, during COVID-19, that's really changed. Um, so because of the two meter separation because the space at the current site is so small um, people are giving being given pre-packed bags of food so there isn't that chance to check you know if we give you pineapple are you going to eat it you know because some people might hate pineapple um, and what we've had to do is we've had to set up a new food distribution hub at a local church um, in winchester which is a much, much bigger space where we can sort and pack donations um, because we're trying to keep people safe and trying to keep them two metres apart and the current venue, we just wasn't, we weren't able to do that. So, um, and so I'm now remote from the clients, um, but obviously their shopping experience, even when they've had to use a food bank, is different. And I talk about them as clients and the shopping experience because I think it's really important that when people have to use the food bank, they understand that it's community. It's about your neighbours and the other people who live near you wanting to support you when you need that extra support. Um, so 
I feel a bit remote from people right now, so that interaction I'm missing, but it's because of COVID-19, which has increased demand, but men, we can't be as human about giving people the food they need. So have you noticed many more people using the basics bank than normal? So the, the increase in demand has been quite dramatic. Um, at the beginning of the lockdown, there was a huge increase in demand, probably sort of a, a number of people coming in a week that used to come in a month. Um, it sort of dropped off once the furlough scheme came in place, so where the government is giving support to people on low incomes or people who, um, you know, have been, who've been not laid off, but, you know, are, are being furloughed. Um, but my sense is it will rise again as things progress, because I think a lot of people are using up their savings and gradually realizing that there is no more money um, and they still need food. Um, there are lots of people in Winchester and the Winchester area who are actually, um, you know, on a really low income and really struggle on a daily basis and people just don't realize that. That's quite worrying really. Are you expecting sort of quite a big rise in demand sort of in the months after this crisis finishes then? Sort of even higher than it is at the moment? I, I, I actually think that if, if the government withdraws the um, income support, so the furlough scheme, if they, if they end the furlough scheme really abruptly at the end of June, I think because I know nationally about 25% of the working population has been using the furlough scheme, no, I think there'll be a huge increase in demand at that time um, because I think it's actually cushioned people. Um, and one of the things people don't realise is we're really proud. Individuals, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, people are proud. And the idea of having to go to a food bank because you can't buy your own food is a huge emotional cost as well as the physical need of actually needing that food to feed your kids. You, you don't want to see your family go hungry. And I think for some people they're holding back, but increasingly they won't be able to hold back. Mm. I've been speaking to um, Emmaus and the Winchester Church's um, night shelter, and one of the themes they mentioned was that they're experiencing some quite significant funding problems at the moment. Is the Basics Bank experiencing those sort of problems as well? I know it's quite a different model. Yeah, um, so uh, do you know about the Winchester Round Table, Jude? Uh, it's a kind of a, uh, a business organisation which tries to do good works in the community. So they run the the bonfire night that happens down at the wreck every year and they generate a lot of income and then they'll give that money out to charities. They wanted to do something to help and one of the things they did for the Winchester Basics Bank is they took out their sleigh that normally goes out at Christmas um, and takes presents around the city or collects presents for children around the city and they actually had a collection for the Winchester Basics Bank um, and they did that for two weeks and the volume of food and the level of generosity from people in Winchester, Allsford, Kingsworth, the surrounding areas, maybe it didn't go to Allsford but Littleton, all the different areas in the city was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So right now we have plenty of food the Vineyard Church, where the distribution hub is, they're letting us have that space, you know, for free. Um, and people are um, 
or if they can't get to the shops because they're isolating or because they're doing a delivery, they are actually donating the money they would normally use to buy the food to put into the boxes at supermarkets. So right now, I don't think the Basics Bank is struggling for cash at all. And the level of donations that people are making is just, yeah, brilliant. Really brilliant. Is that dependent on how long lockdown goes on? Um, see, I, I think that at the moment people are at home and they don't know how to help, so they want to help. I think that they'll probably keep doing it because um, it's, it's an easy and effective way to feel like you're giving something back. Um, and lots of people aren't spending any money. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not spending any money. It makes me realise how much money I spent on lunch, you know, because <laughs> I'm not out working and working at home um no that's not really happening um so i think that generosity will still be there i think it will be in the months to come you know where people maybe as lockdown is lifted maybe as things change where people will become more distracted and are not focused on what can i do to help mm. one more um theme i picked up from speaking to um Emmaus and the Winchester Church's night shelter was that they both spoke about mental health and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you're also involved in Winchester's community as a whole. How are not only the volunteers at the Basics Bank coping mentally with this but how is the community as a whole getting on? Um, I think that there are a lot of frightened people. Um, I think in the community um, I mean, we're, we're lucky in Winchester in that we have a lot of green space that we can get out into, but we also have very narrow streets in the centre, and sometimes it's hard to stay on the pavement and socially distance and not get knocked over by the car that's coming up behind you down the north walls. Um, so I think there is a, a lot of anxiety. We're lucky in Winchester in that, you know, we have had a certain number of cases, but our hospital has coped really, really well, and we haven't had the volume of fatalities, tragedies that other areas have had to quite the same extent. So people are anxious. The anxiety now seems to be from people who are either in the vulnerable category or who are beyond the age of 70, that their freedoms might be curtailed. They might be stuck at home for even longer than the general population. Um, but also there are people who, you know, are self-employed, who are still waiting for that assistance to come through the fellow schemes through their tax returns, which doesn't come through to June. They're, they're worrying about that. And people are worrying when the furlough scheme ends, what happens then? Will I suddenly find I'm out of a job? Um, and I think there is a lot of anxiety. Um, and also children as well, you know, parents are talking about particularly the younger children don't really understand they understand they can't go to school but they don't really understand why they can't see their friends um they feel fit they feel well um you know they i think there's a lot of brooding anxiety um as people people are holding on and they're coping but it still isn't right doesn't feel right mm. for you as a council the lib dems have only had a a majority since the local elections last year. 
when yeah. conservatives were in a majority um, like how would you assess they dealt with homelessness like how effective were they um i don't really want to be political at this time um what what i would say is that we have to reflect on the fact that for years we've been demanding that the government deals with the homelessness problem not only locally but nationally and it's extraordinary that suddenly when there's a need things have been able to be achieved we have found accommodation for people we have found the money to get people off the streets you know we have found the money to support the homeless charities to the extent that they can provide a hot meal um, and my question is so if there's a will there is a way so why was there not a will before and also I'm having discussions with people and they're saying, well, we've got them off the streets, can't we keep them off the streets? Putting a homeless person in a hotel room as a temporary measure is one thing, but a hotel room is not a home. And we need to do much more to treat everybody, you know, with the same level of respect. The basic needs we have are food and shelter. As a society, we should provide food and shelter for every member of society. And, you know, it's a responsibility of us all. I suppose one of the other concerns is sort of what happens to all of these uh, homeless people once lockdown ends. You know, are they all going to be kicked out of the streets, out of these hotels that they're already housed in? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What is the forward plan? So will they just get lost? Um, I don't mean to use um, a um, Lord of the Rings analogy, but I'm going to, you know, I often think the eye of Sauron, you know, at the moment, people are focused on this group. So they're getting support, they're getting help because leaving them on the street would have been a kind of a political disaster. I wonder when our attention is focused elsewhere, whether the government then will withdraw that support. I hope not, you know, and I hope that there's enough of a force to, to make sure that we do think of a longer term plan. But if we look at, you know, Winchester itself, do we have accommodation available where once those homeless people come out of the hotels to actually house them? And probably the answer is there isn't enough accommodation. I know the night shelter can't, you know, it can't take everybody in every night that wants to go in. You know, EMS doesn't have the space. Trinity are trying to build a 12 bed facility to have some homeless people be able to be supported overnight there. Um, but you know, where is the other accommodation coming from? It isn't. It isn't there. So, is anyone doing that planning or doing that thinking? I don't know, Jude. Is the answer? It, it seems to me that what you're saying is sort of linked to the concern that some commentators have, which which is when they've talked about the danger that sort of voluntary organisations sort of substitute for local authorities, hollowed out by sort of a you know a decade really of, of government cuts. I mean, what do you think about that um, concern? Does that bear out in, in reality? I have this, th these two things I say when I'm working at the food distribution hub at the food bank. On the one hand, I say, isn't it great that we've given out so much food today to families who need it? And I say, I think it's great because it means there's families in needs and we've been able to support them. But on the other hand, I say, isn't it terrible that today we've given out so much food to this many families 
who are, are at a point in society when they have to come to a food bank. So I, I agree with you, we know we shouldn't have to have food banks. We should be able to give people the opportunity to earn enough money to live on where we don't need food banks, where people afford a place to live. Um, and whether that's giving people a proper wage, a proper living wage, or um, giving them a level of support that actually supports them. And I'm trying very hard not to be political because I don't want to be political at this point. Um, so I think that the charities you know, are fantastic, but they are picking out where central government has deliberately decided to cut back from providing those services directly. You mentioned in an interview with The Guardian that you promised your kids that you would do whatever it would take to stop uh, Brexit and I bring that up with some hesitancy. Okay. Yeah. Brexit is carried out. Are you worried that this could hurt living standards in the aftermath of what will have been, you know, the biggest economic crisis in modern history? To be honest, I, I still think Brexit is the wrong thing for us to do. Um, but we have had a general election where the majority of people voted for the, a party which wants to carry out Brexit. And I totally respect the decision I live in a democracy. I have pushed and pressed in, in the, any way I can to suggest to the government that they, you know, we, shouldn't, we should be extending the transition period at least at this time. We shouldn't be pressing ahead to you know to leave on the first of June with you know it looks unlikely that any deal will have been struck. I don't understand. I don't understand why the current Conservative government would press ahead with this with all of the economic uncertainty and the social upheaval and deprivation um, that that brings. Why why they would also press ahead with with Brexit now and why they wouldn't extend the transition deal. Um, you know, I, I tried to do whatever it took to stop Brexit. You know, that's what forced me into politics, although probably working at the food bank would have got me into politics sooner anyway. I mean, I'm a sort of social justice is a thing that drives me, uh, I know, as an individual and various other issues around the climate. But I, I don't understand why we're pressing ahead when we know that this will also have a big impact on the economy and threaten jobs, threaten livelihoods. And I have an issue. I have an issue when people talk about, oh, well, you know, that's 2,000 jobs lost. I always think that's 2,000 livelihoods. If those 2,000 people live in a household of four people, that's 8,000 people. That's 8,000 lives. You know, and then if I go beyond to think, well, the impact of children growing up in poverty, what that has on their educational outcome, on their um, likely own achievements in life, you know, it goes beyond. So I don't know, Jude, I don't know. I'm trying not to be political. I've said that three times when <laughs> you're forcing me to make political comments. So. Um, I'm conscious of the time, but final question. I don't know if you're familiar with Ed, Ed Miliband's podcast, uh, Reasons to be Cheerful but whether it's the community spirit that sort of seems to be coming out of this, are there reasons to be optimistic and cheerful in this grim crisis? 
Um, I think the reasons to be cheerful are, are definitely the community spirit, um, are definitely the, the breath that we've given the environment. Um, I'm hopeful that people are going to use this time to think about the kind of world they want to live in going forward. Um, I am slightly encouraged that the, the idea that the recovery will be a green recovery. I hope that the current government hold true to that because I think we have an opportunity to do that. And yes, COVID-19 is the absolute immediate danger and the threat we face. But in a year and a half, two years time, the climate emergency will still be there. Um, so I am really hopeful that we look at this and go, okay, what could we do to build back greener? Um, so there are reasons to be cheerful and I'm meeting extraordinary people all the time. Uh, you know, they're at two meters of distance, so <laughs> they're a long way away. Um, but I'm working with different people, different types of volunteers. Uh, a lot of the workers who are furloughed, you know, they're, they're in their 20s, 30s, no, and they're getting a taste of the voluntary sector for the first time, and that's a good thing too, because often volunteers tend to show up in their late 50s and 60s. The majority of volunteers are in their late 50s and 60s. So if these younger people have had an opportunity to have more of a social conscience and to look at what community and voluntary work can do, then that to me would be a really positive thing too. Um, but I, you know, I'm optimistic. I, this is a, we are in a different point, but this is a hiatus. Things will change. We will create a new normal, but we have an opportunity to create a better normal. Paula, thank you very much for talking to You're us today. I've really appreciated it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Paula again for her time. And I want to discuss some of my impressions from that interview. First of all, it's clear that asking political questions during a time of crisis, when there's an atmosphere of unity, isn't necessarily the most comfortable thing to do. So I'm aware that Paula wanted to avoid being seen as too party political. But I personally thought the answers she gave weren't so much party political is focused on how people can access help, about the role of voluntary organisations in providing support to ordinary people. Second, I'm not an academic or a TV host, so interviewing people like Paula, who were really involved in the local community, who were, as I said in the previous episode, movers and shakers, and I'm not entirely comfortable with that phrase, but that's just how it is. But I'm not an academic or a TV host, so interviewing people is really a learning process for me as well. And I think doing all of these interviews, I had there are several more episodes which I'm going to be releasing in the next week or so, is a really fascinating learning process for me. I feel that I've got a little bit better at getting more out of the interviewees. But now I want to change the subject slightly. In the last few weeks there have been a few announcements. 
Now, there's been a lot of concern about what happens to all of the homeless people once lockdown ends, and Paula talked a little bit about that. Um, Robert Jemrick, Minister for Housing, Communities and Local Government, announced on Sunday that uh, there was to be funding for 6,000 new housing units. Now, that's a welcome measure, but I wonder if it's enough, and I'll talk a bit more in a minute about the housing first approach to rough sleeping which originated in Finland. The problem though I think with the announcement is that it's just not enough. In order to properly implement any sort of effective housing first system you really need a much more extensive social housing programme. In Helsinki alone there are more than 60,000 social housing units, 10 times the national amount proposed by Mr Jenrick. I want to talk a little bit about Housing First as a system, and I'll talk certainly more extensively about it in another episode, but I want quickly to justify why I think the announcement by Mr Jenrick is inadequate. Now in this country we've relied on a staircase model of homelessness with different stages of accommodation as a homeless person moves through rehabilitation. The Housing First model, though, turns that on its head and gives people accommodation first of all, without any strings attached. In a conventional model, the logic is, let's sort out the problems before we give them housing. And in this model, the logic is, moving through all these different stages of housing creates problems of its own, and you can't really solve those underlying issues, whether they're mental health, unless you have stable housing in the first place. And the results are quite clear. Finland is the only country in Europe where homelessness has fallen over the last 10 years. And for that reason, it's received loads of cross-party support. Expanding a UK equivalent was in both 2017 and the 2019 Conservative manifestos, for example. But the problem is this. A housing first model only works if there's enough social housing stocks, if people have access to affordable housing. Homelessness is as much a barometer of wider economic events as it is an issue which can be solved through specific interventions. As I reflect on what Paula said about the hidden levels of deprivation, I'm beginning to think that we should be focusing on the prevention as much as the cure, that we should consider homelessness in a wider economic context. And that's what I'll be discussing next time with Patrick Davies, a former Labour councillor on Winchester City Council and a very experienced local politician. But thank you very much for listening to this episode today. Subscribe, share this on social media, And thanks again for listening.